Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back, under two weeks away from WrestleMania 37, one week away from the official start of WrestleMania week to break down everything in the world of WWE as it cruises into its biggest show of the year. I say cruises into the biggest show of the year, but if we are being honest, there's a couple speed bumps on this very long, uh, tenuous road to WrestleMania. We're going to break down some of those on today's show, along with everything that is working right in that HOV lane on the road to WrestleMania. We have a huge show ahead, plenty to talk about from SmackDown and Raw. So as always, the Silver King is not going to waste any time. Once again, I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein, my co-host, Vintage Chris Benini, is here as well. Before I welcome him in, a couple reminders. We've got to take care of business on this show, even though there's not as much business being taken care of on Raw these days. Number one, a reminder to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Leave five-star ratings and reviews for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast so people know how much you love this show. We are in WrestleMania season. This is our biggest time of the year. It's basically our one-year anniversary from when this damn podcast started, and I need you guys to go all in for us. Tell people it is all about the five. I've seen some new reviews pop up on Apple Podcasts. I greatly appreciate it, but you guys need to leave five-star ratings and reviews as well. And also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast, not only for episode releases, but we talk wrestling all week long. We share news and we also do pre and post show polls for all of our pay-per-views. So there's every good reason to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. So with that, it's time for the show. It's time to talk WWE professional wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever the hell you want to call it. So I'm going to bring in my co-host vintage Chris Vanini and Chris I think this is just another week coming out of Raw. You know, Raw is the show that we watch right before we tape this program because SmackDown's on Fridays and it doesn't really make sense to do a show over the weekend. But it's another week for me where, look, Raw wasn't bad, right? I think over the last couple of weeks, it's been serviceable is the best way to describe it. But it is just on a totally different level, meaning a much lower level, a lower rung on the ladder then everything else WWE is doing right now. SmackDown's on fire. NXT's on fire. Raw's kind of just going through the motions and happening. And it shouldn't feel like that on the way to WrestleMania. No, and, and it's not It's not runtime. It's not injuries. It's not anything else. We know what the WrestleMania card is. We've known for a couple of weeks now. But SmackDown is a, has been able to build heat for the matches we know they're going to have in SmackDown or then in Raw just cannot do that. We we got another episode where yeah, things happened on Raw, but nothing really had any meat to it. Nothing really had any fire to it. And we come out of another Raw just being like, yeah, I like the people involved, but there's just nothing to this. I, I mean, a week 2 weeks ago we get the the Raw Championship match announced via a uh, a screen graphic before the show. Meanwhile, on SmackDown, you build the entire uh, main event they're doing throughout the end, end of the show and give us a story. It's just two very, very different shows. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's not that I don't want to see some of the Raw matches at WrestleMania. 
I do want to see Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre, Asuka and Rhea Ripley. Hell, Sheamus and Matt Riddle and Bad Bunny and Miz. Like, I, I, mm. I, I'm kind of curious, right? Yeah. What's, what's going to happen there? So there's matches I want to see, but I don't care about any of them. I mean, Lashley and McIntyre I care about, but to, to only a, a small degree, whereas on SmackDown, it feels like most, if not every match that's going to be on the show from SmackDown, I am invested in the outcome of those matches. And Raw, you know, you can blame for not this week, but prior weeks, some of the COVID stuff and people getting uh, pulled off of shows for one reason or another. Um, and, and you can and Fastlane, the fact that they jammed that extra pay-per-view in is all reasons why it wasn't operating to the same level that SmackDown was. But those are just excuses. You know, the truth is there's no reason a major wrestling company in 2021 should be this haphazard in the penultimate week before its biggest show of the year, penultimate go-home show, let's call it, before their biggest pay-per-view of the entire year. And it's not just that it's a huge pay-per-view. WrestleMania is huge. They're welcoming fans back for the first time in more than a year. It's a two-night show. They're trying to get people to subscribe to Peacock, changing the streaming service without an easy conversion. There's no, like, if you're a subscriber to WWE Network, they're not just pushing you over to a different platform. You literally have to subscribe to a new platform. So you need to create reasons for people to go out and do these things. And look, I think the WWE Network subscribers are probably pretty loyal to the product. And I would guess 90% of them are going to be able to subscribe with no real issue. But you're trying to create this passion and this momentum And on SmackDown, there's momentum. Every Friday night, I put on SmackDown. I sit through the two-hour show. And, you know, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily riveted by it, but it captures my attention. I'm curious what's going to happen next. We we both knew, Chris, what was going to happen in the main event storyline. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the fact that they kept my attention for two hours, even though I knew what the end result was going (laughs) to be, is exactly the point. It's why SmackDown is operating, if not at a 10 at a nine and Raw's operating at like a four or a five right now. And it's not that the shit happening on Raw is necessarily bad. It's just that it's nonsensical. It lacks continuity. And this is the time of year where those things are so uber important. It's just really insulting and it's it's really unfortunate too. Yeah, everything on SmackDown feels like it matters. Even if it's not great, even if they've tripped up along the way, for whatever reason, the people involved, the commentary, the presentation, it feels like it matters to the people involved. In, in Raw, it just too often feels like we didn't know what was going to happen this week until right before the show started and we're running with it. And 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 that's where we go. And that's not to mention even the presentation. There were a thousand things that happened on Raw. I'm exaggerating. There was a dozen things, let's say, <laughs> that were just totally screwed up from, and we'll talk about it later, but from someone mentioning MVPs in one place when he's in another place They used main event graphics instead of raw graphics early in the show. Riddle forgot his lines and and blew a segment. It was almost like like this show was being put together live as it was happening. Yeah. And you just can't be doing that on the road to WrestleMania. So, okay, I I guess you guys understand where our mindset is entering this show. We're going to be probably really positive about SmackDown and probably relatively negative about Raw. So let's not waste any more time. Let's do what we always do to open the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and slide into the main event. And let's start on that positive note. Let's start with SmackDown, where the entire storyline on Friday night was what's going to happen with Daniel Bryan. Will he get some type of 
retribution on Roman Reigns and or Edge ahead of WrestleMania. So the show opens, Brian's in the ring with a chair. He's selling that Reigns has never tapped out in his career until Fastlane, and he would actually be the champion in the main event of WrestleMania, if not for Edge using the chair. Brian demanded a rematch on SmackDown, refused to leave the ring. He said Edge didn't deserve the opportunity, which I think was just a slip. People were criticizing it as bad writing. I just think that Brian screwed up. He won the Royal Rumble. Obviously, he deserves an opportunity at the Universal Championship. But after some silence, Adam Pearce comes out. He said he would neither give Brian the match on SmackDown nor the winner of either of those guys, Reigns and Edge, immediately at WrestleMania, the same way Reigns got him immediately after the Elimination Chamber. So Brian proposed doing Reigns and Edge on night one and facing the winner on night two. Pierce started considering it until out of nowhere an angry Edge comes out. Brian tackled him, but then he got speared and hit with a chair, which really cemented Edge as more of a heel than a tweener. Backstage, Roman Reigns demanded Paul Heyman and Jey Uso find Pierce and use force if necessary. And that was the entire first half hour of SmackDown. One quarter of the show was just dedicated to storytelling of the main event. And I personally appreciated that. Uh, We'll continue on a little bit more before you kind of jump in here. Pierce showed up in Reigns' room. Reigns said he will only work one night at WrestleMania and he will only defend the title one time. Edge confronted Pierce and demanded Brian not get a match. Brian played the nice guy. Edge suddenly ran into Reigns' locker room and said Brian's trying to steal their spotlight just like he did in 2014. And Reigns needed to use the stroke he has to make sure that didn't happen. I love the reference from Edge. If only he had gone a little bit further to mention Batista and compare himself to Batista in that situation. But Chris, I thought that WWE did a fantastic job on SmackDown using the three biggest names on the show entering WrestleMania in a storyline across the entire two hours, culminating in the main event segment, which we'll talk about in a second. They keep topping themselves every week with what's going on in the story. And it is the most exciting thing, honestly, on television going on. It's so good. The promos are so good. The story is so good. And that, I mean, that Edge's comment was not the only callback to 2014. I mean, Brian's sitting in the ring and demanding he's not going to leave. Right. The right. exact same thing as when the Yes movement took over the ring and, and he wanted, what did he want? He wanted a fight with Triple H and then the, and then the winner of that would go on to the championship match. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's all very similar. And they're alluding to it while not necessarily copying it. And I, I think the way it played out shows how far Daniel Bryan has come as, as, a, as a character, as a, as a wrestler, as a, as a person in WWE. I know there are no fans this time around, but last time it was about the fans coming behind him, the swell of support to get him into that match. This time around, it's Brian saying, no, I deserve it. I deserve this spot. I'm one of the best people here. I tapped Roman Reigns out. And and, and we've seen how far he's come in so many different ways uh, as this character, and it's great. And, And Edge is getting more and more angry, and he continues to get angry as the show goes on on SmackDown. Like, he's he's killing it as well. So much heat for everything going on. And he's so much better. He's, Edge's, look, like, I, I appreciate them trying to make him a face. You know fans want to root for him because he overcame that adversity and came back. But they cheered for him, even though they didn't get to do it, you know, with him in front of them. They, they, they cheered for him last year, right? They were rooting for Edge against Randy Orton the entire year. Edge is a heel. He's historically a heel. He's way better as uh, the ultimate opportunist and the rated R superstar. He's not a guy you want to root for ultimately. And it's just so much more appropriate for Reigns to be Reigns, 
Edge to be Edge, the interaction between Reigns and Edge backstage told you exactly what you needed to know where, hey, you really thought Edge was Mr. Nice Guy, but in the end, he's really just a selfish prick, right? Mm -hmm. And And so is Roman Reigns, and they were able to connect on that level. This is the Edge I want. I don't want the nice guy. I want the asshole. And I think that's what we're getting now. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's a natural story of, hey, he came back from his neck injury to come back last year. Now he came back from another injury to get to the spot. And he's pissed off that Daniel Bryan is taking his one-on-one moment. And that's perfectly relatable. And he's lashing out about it. It's it's such a great story. Everybody involved. And yeah, this is the edge we wanted. We, we got a couple of months of, you know, good guy edge. But especially without the fans to cheer him, you can do whatever you want with him. Uh, with Edge, and that's exactly what they're doing. Everybody's kind of settling into a role there. Yeah, Edge is probably more heel than tweener at the moment, but he's still in a spot where I think he can attack Roman, and if the crowd was there, they pop and stuff like that. So it's everybody's slotted exactly where they need to be. And even go back, so Dan O'Brien says, hey, we'll do two matches, one night on the first night, one on the second night. You know, we'd been talking for weeks. We thought they were going to do triple threat, but because I'm I, because I trust SmackDown, when that opportunity was presented, I thought maybe they might do this, right? It, they've talked, you know, every, we've talked about is is WrestleMania going to do a pull a Wrestle Kingdom and do something like that night tonight? I was like, well, maybe they will actually do this. And if they do it, it's not exactly what I wanted, but I trust them to get it right. So let's see where this goes. And it, it, it gives you a reason to watch for the rest of the show. So yeah, Chris, you nailed that. So let's continue on here. Everyone was in the ring for the main event segment. Pierce said he respected all of the concerns of the three guys, but Brian deserves another opportunity. And ultimately, he made the match we expected from the beginning, a triple threat for the Universal Championship, the main event of night two at WrestleMania. Brian attacked Edge. He ate a Superman punch, got his ass beat. Edge speared Reigns. Jey Uso brought a chair into the ring. Edge used it on Reigns and Brian. Edge then put chairs under both their heads for a concerto, which we haven't seen in a long time. But Jay ran in for the distraction. Edge hit two suited officials with the chair and then just sat in the ring, incensed, huffing, puffing, staring into the camera as SmackDown went off the air. So in the end, we got exactly what we expected and exactly what we wanted, at least from this show uh, at WrestleMania. We've been talking about it for two months, a triple threat with Roman Reigns, Edge and Daniel Bryan. Sometimes predictable things are good. This was most certainly predictable and it was most certainly good. We all have already talked about this triple threat match at length on this show on prior episodes, so I don't really know that we need to go through again why a triple threat with all three of these guys is better than Edge and Roman Reigns one-on-one, and I'm really not sure there's much more to add. We are going to have a full WrestleMania 37 Ultimate Preview coming next Tuesday, and we'll probably have some additional episodes next week as well, so we're going to talk about this match and the booking and what should happen somewhat ad nauseum. But I will say, I just I really appreciated SmackDown taking us on a storyline journey to get to the conclusion, explaining why their other options presented by Daniel Bryan weren't good enough, weren't right, and why ultimately the correct booking was a triple threat. He didn't just make a triple threat out of nowhere, Adam Pierce. He actually like listened to other options, said this won't work for this reason, this won't work for another reason, Roman Reigns turned down options, and ultimately he came to this decision. I, I thought it was extremely smart, even if it was predictable. And as I say all the time, and as Triple H says sometimes, sometimes predictable things are good. 
And, and shout out to Adam Pierce, who continues to do just a tremendous job as a down the middle authority figure. <laughs> like he, 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 everything he does, there's reason to it. It makes sense. He even told Roman, you know, I mean, I'm even inclined to agree with you to, to say that maybe Dan O'Brien doesn't deserve this opportunity. So just he, he, he helps the story move along between different moving characters and he comes to his decision and c- compare that compare to how we got to this compared to Raw when we got the announcement on a graphic of the show, then had a pay-per-view match between McIntyre and Sheamus with no stakes whatsoever. And it's just doing two different things, two completely different ways. And as usual, SmackDown is doing it the right way. It's truly night and day. That That's just, it's night and day, SmackDown and Raw. And the main event build is emblematic of that. It is proof that Everything SmackDown does is well thought out and planned and reasoned, and everything happening on Raw is not. Now, you can believe some reports where Daniel Bryan was not long-term, the expectation to be in the triple threat match, that this is a change that was made over the last couple of months. And if that's true, that's okay. But they thought out, okay, we're going to make this change. How are we going to make it? And they planned it out over a number of weeks, really over a number of months two months, to make sure it played out in a way that had it make sense from a storytelling perspective. And on Raw, that just, we're not getting the same thing. It's as simple as that. And we'll go talk about the main event picture there right now and prove that very point. Now, the main storyline on Raw, the main event of Raw, it actually wasn't bad. It was Bobby Lashley basically putting a hit out on Drew McIntyre. He said last week that, hey, someone come take this guy out for me. I'll give you a WWE championship match. They carried it on all week, so they gave you reason to want to watch the show, and they carried that storyline out throughout the entire show. So, you know, before we even go through the bit by bit of this, I do give them some credit. I'm not saying this was bad, but there were just a lot of holes in it and some things that certainly, you know, pissed me off, things I just simply did not like. So backstage before the show begins, basically, McIntyre cut a quick promo, then Hurt Business is in the ring, and Lashley reissued his offer for someone to take out McIntyre. MVP admonished Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander for screwing up last week. Benjamin stood up for himself and got in Lashley's face. Lashley then attacked him and said, the Hurt Business is officially kaput. WWE just cannot help itself, man. Hurt Mm. Business was today as fresh as it was yesterday, last month, four months ago. There was no reason whatsoever to make a change and in this faction. And they just broke up another faction, group, or team, which they continuously do. It seems to be one a month for no good reason whatsoever. One could argue, and I'll accept this argument, that Lashley outgrew the faction now that he's WWE champion and they're trying to promote him as dominant. But if he loses the title at WrestleMania, then he really has nothing to go back to at that point except MVP as his manager and him now not being WWE champion anymore. So to me, this was a unforced error. There was absolutely no reason to stop the Hurt Business. And I just don't have an explanation for it. It's Vince. (laughs) No, no, Vince, it's a shitty idea. (laughs) It's it's so short-sighted and I don't understand... Why in real life? I don't understand why in kayfabe he's upset that they interfered in a match and then they won't get to be ringside, but he doesn't like them anyway. I 
Why? And he didn't want their help against Sheamus, but he wants yeah. their help ringside against Drew McIntyre. Yeah, like there's what? no continuity there. No, like, like, like tell the story of Lashley. Big, like if you're gonna do this, have Lashley big time him. You know, like he's too big of a deal. He ignores him. He doesn't pay attention. They're getting upset. They decide to split. And Lashley's on his own with MVP to do it. Like, that's the story you tell if you want to split him apart, which I don't think you should do. But it makes no sense. And then he's just calling on anybody want to jump Drew McIntyre. I was hoping that in this episode, her uh, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander would end up jumping Drew McIntyre and getting Me back too. to his good races and yeah. bring it back together. But it doesn't look like that's the case now. And it's just it's really a shame. And you're right. If 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 Lashley loses the belt, then then what does he have? I mean, he didn't have much of anything before the Hurt Business. I mean, he'll still have MVP, but just like, man, I don't get it. Like, think about all the tag teams they've broken up for no reason. Like, where where's Tucker these days? You know, like the, the amount of teams, factions, just for no reason. It doesn't help Lashley at all. Like, Lashley doesn't look any better through this. He's literally asking for help. He looks stronger leading a faction. Hulk Hogan as yeah. champion was so dominant with the NWO because he had the NWO. He's untouchable. Yes, Drew wants exactly. to get to La- Drew wants to get to Lashley and the Hurt Business is beating him down. They won't let him. They're protecting him. That's how you heal it up. You don't you don't uh, And McIntyre just, if you if you want McIntyre to lose at WrestleMania, you have him take out both guys with Claymore's, gets distracted, comes back in the ring. You know, maybe he still fights with Lashley, but he can't he can't win the numbers game, right? If you want McIntyre to win at WrestleMania, now he's not over over not only overcome just Bobby Lashley, but he's overcome two other guys at ringside as well. So there's every reason to still have these guys all there together, and they just decided not to. And we know that the breakup had been teased. It was originally teased with Shelton Benjamin. I mean, sorry, uh, Cedric Alexander getting too big of an ego, and it looked like he was going to split them up. That didn't happen. Now they're doing it this way. It was just unnecessary. And I had the same mindset as you, not to jump ahead too much, but I had the same mindset of, well, they didn't really hit each other that much. Maybe this is all just going to be a ploy and her business will come in at the end and attack McIntyre and they'll stand really strong as a group and it'll look great, right? Or maybe because uh, Cedric Alexander is the one who keeps running away and Shelton Benjamin is the one who got his ass beat. Maybe Shelton will leave the group, but Cedric will stay. And maybe he recruited Ricochet since we saw what happened with that challenge later in the show. Then you saw Ali and you're like, well, maybe it could be Ali and Ricochet and they're the new members. There were so many different things that could have happened where you said, oh, wow, that made a lot of sense. They could have brought Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander back, plus added Ricochet, and now the Hurt Business is even stronger. But instead, there's other things that happen. We'll talk about all of it. And the Hurt Business is just gone. It's just, look, retribution, you want to kill retribution, it's fine. The group sucked. You know, there was never any direction, whatever. Her business revitalized the careers of Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, and Bobby Lashley. And now two of them are cut off. Now, are they they better off now? Yeah, Benjamin and Alexander are fine. And Alexander now has a great cockiness and attitude that I think will serve him well throughout the rest of his career. I think he's found something by being in this group. And no, I don't think they needed to be together forever. But Two weeks out from WrestleMania, did you really have to break up two factions in in, in a four week span? No, you really didn't. N- none of them are better off for this, and I hope you're right about Cedric Alexander, and, and he can find something. And obviously, Shelton's on the other side of his career, but just like you said, it revitalized everybody. They were so great together; they were strong. They just had all the gold like three weeks ago, and to go from that to a breakup for the purpose of 
making Lashley look more cowardly. I, I don't get it. It's it's just, it's a it was shame. bad. It's just bad booking. So anyway, the guys run up to Adam Pierce backstage and demand singles matches with Lashley over the next two weeks. Alexander asked Pierce directly, "Where is your set, Pierce?" Which will now be a sound drop uh, in perpetuity <laughs> on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I laughed out loud. I thought it was pretty funny. And it was yeah. actually a pretty hot backstage segment. I thought Alexander and Benjamin were pretty good. Uh, I should also note real quick that MVP was on commentary with instead of Samoa Joe for most of the night. So should just say that. Uh, Lashley then faced Benjamin in that singles match. Lashley kicked out a pay dirt and won with two almighty spinebusters and the Hurt Lock before flexing with the title. McIntyre was on a warpath backstage. Wondering why no one was going after him. He called out Strowman as someone who should be a five-time world champion. Strowman said McIntyre was on his radar if he wins against Shane McMahon at WrestleMania and if McIntyre beats Bobby Lashley. McIntyre then picked fights with Humberto Creo, Angel Garza, and Drew Gulak, basically tossing all of them aside. Riddle was pretty chill when McIntyre confronted him, so they didn't fight. And then Ricochet stood up to McIntyre and took the challenge. I thought this was good. It made McIntyre look strong and somewhat psychotic, with Lashley clearly getting in his head. And it painted Ricochet in a good light too, especially when he stood up to MVP backstage and cut a passionate promo before the match. So Ricochet actually got a lot of shine out of this entire thing. And I thought that was pretty good because we're not seeing a lot of him. And he is someone once WrestleMania is over that I do hope they focus on. Yeah, look, I mean, we get Ricochet in the main event. I'm not going to complain about that. But to me, it was a weird segment that could have been really good. I I'm, First of all, him standing in the locker room and nobody attacking him was it makes McIntyre look good, but it, it makes everybody else look bad. I mean, these are a lot of the same guys who are chasing around the 24 seven championship. They're being presented with a chance to have a WWE championship match here and they're not taking it. And Braun, I get what they were going for, but instead of saying, I'll get to you, uh, you know, I'll get once I get with Shane, you know, you're on my radar. He should have said, no, I, I'm focused on Shane. This is more important. This is personal. But once I do that, then I'm coming for you. Like build up the Shane match while talking about, I'll get you at some point, Drew, Drew McIntyre. And then, you know, everybody else is kind of getting pushed around, Humberto. I, I liked McIntyre's comment about uh, Drew Gulak tweeting at him or something like that, trying mm -hmm. to get a reply or something like that. That was, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, it, I, yeah, I mean, I guess... Congrats, Ricochet, for having honor, I guess. That's the whole point. You know, as opposed to jumping Drew, he decides to challenge him to a match. We know how we all knew how that was going to end. So, uh, well, look, Ricochet answered the age old question. Where is your sack, Pierce? He, he has a sack, right? He stepped up to Drew McIntyre and that was the good thing. So, by the way, it was interesting. I did mention that MVP was on commentary throughout the entire show. And by the way, he did a very good job. But yeah. he was on commentary right before this backstage segment, right? then was randomly backstage to interact with Ricochet, only to immediately be back comfortable on his commentary chair before the match, which obviously means the Ricochet promo backstage was pre-taped. But the lack of continuity, and some McIntyre made a comment about MVP later, but he was on con It was maddening. Like, I don't know why Samoa Joe was, wasn't at the show, but it doesn't seem like it was planned or known about that much ahead of time. So hopefully it wasn't COVID or anything like that, but hopefully also it's nothing major or serious, you know, with him. Our truth wasn't there either. There were a couple of notable absences on the show, but the lack of continuity there with MVP, if you were paying attention at all, was maddening. Anyway, we get to the match, McIntyre, Ricochet. Ricochet avoided being thrown into the steps, jumped off of them onto the barricade, then ran down the barricade to missile drop kick McIntyre 
outside the ring, which was just awesome. Uh, Ricochet then missed his finisher, rolled through it though, and McIntyre caught him with a Claymore right at the end of it. I was hoping we'd get a little bit more from Ricochet, a longer match, a little bit more shine, but at least he got a little bit of a moment with the former WWE champion, possibly future champion. So right after the bell, Mustafa Ali attacked McIntyre from behind, had him hobbled, so they immediately ran a match. I thought that was actually pretty smart, considering Ali's now on his own, but he's still a heel. McIntyre caught Ali flying with a Glasgow kiss and then did the 3-2-1 Claymore thing, which is now back because he's a face and there's going to be a crowd uh, for the win. McIntyre dared Lashley to come face him afterward. They had a promo face-off. It was actually pretty strong. McIntyre said Lashley asking him to be taken out proved he was scared of McIntyre. He then cleared Lashley out of the ring with a Glasgow kiss. And I thought the show was about to end. Like, I don't know what else they're going to do. And then out of nowhere... King Corbin, you know, from SmackDown, attacks McIntyre from behind. Uh, He countered a Claymore with a deep six, and Lashley jumped in the ring to put on the Hurt Lock. Then Corbin's yelling at Lashley to put the Hurt Lock in again, so he listened to King Corbin. Then he did it a third time, putting the Hurt Lock on McIntyre on his own. The heat with Lashley and McIntyre I thought was good, but I have no idea (laughs) why... Less than two weeks out from WrestleMania, you are injecting Baron Corbin, King Corbin still, into this. Why is Lashley listening to him when he has MVP? I guess if they're going to give us some type of storyline with it, it's okay, right? Look, all three of them work together. You'll remember it was Lashley, uh, McIntyre, and Corbin in like 2018, 2019, after McIntyre split from Dolph Ziggler. He was still a heel and they all worked together. But they didn't mention that on commentary. There wasn't any tie to it. He's not on the same show. It just seemed totally random, nonsensical, and somewhat unnecessary. With Ali there and with everything happening, there wasn't really a good reason that Lashley could have just taken him out on his own and stood tall in the ring. You really shouldn't be developing a storyline with a brand new person less than two weeks out from WrestleMania. And I mean, if they make him part of the Hurt Business and they remix the group, maybe there's something there. But dude, like, I just don't get this. I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Baron Corbin in the Hurt Business. <laughs> it could actually work with MVP. I mean, dude, I don't know. Th- this was trash. This was terrible. Th- this was, I mean, I like AEW, but this was very AEW to finish with like three different guys like taking their shot at Drew at Drew McIntyre trying to get something out of it. Oh, surprise running from from Ali. Oh, then a surprise running from somebody else. Bar- Baron Corbin's a talented guy in the ring. I think he has a lot of potential. His gimmicks and his constant wrestling people in circles is detrimental to him. But this is this is ridiculous. This is a joke. It, so does Corbin now get a title shot? Is that is that is that the plan here? Is, is it and the other thing is this wasn't a real beat down like the idea was, hey, there's a bounty on him. Take him out basically so he can't wrestle at WrestleMania and then you get a title shot. This was just a regular do some wrestling moves to a guy. Where chairs, where stairs. Give me a real physical beat down where I don't know if Drew McIntyre is going to be able to fight at WrestleMania in in uh, two weeks. Uh, to, like, that's the story they were set up to tell. And then they just don't give it to us. They give a bunch of kicks and then Lashley's helping in the beatdown anyway. Like, what? what is the point of any of this? Now we're going to have to deal with Corbin for two weeks and I'm sure we'll get Drew versus Corbin next week. And of course, of course. That'll be, That'll be the main event of the just show. Like, yeah. Man, like, they keep, like, having, they keep setting up 
potential stories and then just dropping them and going in other directions. And this is ridiculous. And I'm not looking forward to the main event of Raw next week. I can tell you that this was garbage. The main event of the go home Raw for WrestleMania will be Drew McIntyre against SmackDown's King Corbin. Yeah. That will be the final segment on next week's show. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe it's the 9 p.m. hour. Maybe they surprise us and it's the first. And they do a contract signing with Lashley. They, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. But chances are that the main event segment is Drew McIntyre against King Corbin. And it's just, again, like, it, we're, WrestleMania is here. Like, it, this isn't two months ago where you're building the storyline and you're ending Hurt Business and you're changing the group and you're doing things. WrestleMania is upon us. And you still don't know what story you're telling. And now you have Corbin here, right? Is he going to be out with Lashley next week? Are they actually going to be together? Or was it just a convenience deal? Is he going to be ringside with him at WrestleMania? Because, hey, remember, he wanted the Hurt Business ringside and he was mad they're not going to be there. So does that mean now Corbin's going to be ringside Mm. for this main event? It's just, it's honestly just shit booking. I mean, the, the only saving grace of this entire thing were there were good nuggets like McIntyre and Lashley is a match we want. Yeah. We we got Ricochet a little bit of shine. You know, some things were okay. Ricochet's promo backstage and and the aggression that that McIntyre showed and Lashley's promos were okay. We, but we this got is to, your main event storyline. We got to see Drew McIntyre who apparently shows up to work in a kilt. That was we got to yeah, see that too. Yeah, he walked in in a kilt, right? <laughs> he didn't change that in the in the locker room. He walked in shirtless in a kilt. So I don't know, man. It's just these shows are so blatantly different. Uh, we have a lot more to talk about from SmackDown and Raw. I do have a DM slide that doesn't really fit anywhere else in the show. So I figured we put it in the main event because it's actually pretty cool. So it came in from Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. said, I'm pretty sure I know your answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. The moving match card graphics making a return, hero or zero. It is a massive hero. Uh, I don't know, Chris, if you've noticed, but you know, WWE used to back in the day do match card graphics where the people weren't just, you know, uh, flat images. They moved around. You remember Mm -hmm. uh, HBK used to fake punch himself in the jaw and then grab it. And it was one of the funniest things. And everyone did something a little bit different. They're back. And Drew McIntyre, I don't know if anyone noticed, he is almost doing a takeoff of HBK by making his a little bit funny. But a lot like people are flexing and Sasha Banks and Bailey both look awesome in theirs. It is just livening up the match card graphics, and it's a minor thing. I don't think that too many people probably notice or care, but as a longtime WWE fan, those moving graphics were awesome. And in 2021, when you have all this technology, it didn't make any sense that they stopped doing them. So I love that they're back. It's a huge hero. I did not notice that. I will go back and look for that. Uh, is it they're moving? They're moving, and then everything kind of freezes, and you've yes. got to... Okay, yes. yeah, that, that's... That, it's it's it's. It's an easy, simple thing. It's fun. I have. I got to go back and look for it. Now, usually when the graphic comes up, I kind of look well, away. Sometimes the graphics are just flat. They're just, here's a graphic of what's happening. Sure. But when they roll through the card, they move. And when you look on social media, they do little like Twitter videos of the moving graphics. So yeah, yeah it's really cool. As I said, there is plenty more of SmackDown and Raw coming up momentarily, but I would be remiss if I did not remind you that promotional consideration for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology 
to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. And we have an exclusive offer for you, our listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code GOMAN at manscaped.com. Folks, this show is all about big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> and Manscaped is all about protecting men's meat. They hooked us up with their Perfect Package 3.0, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0. This trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blade technology to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe. From a lifetime of trimming down low, I can tell you I've never used something so perfectly designed. Also in that Perfect Package 3.0 are some products to keep your balls dry and smelling fresh, along with a couple free gifts, including a pair of comfortable, high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs, and a travel bag. Trim your junk, get 20% off and free shipping with the code GOMAN at manscaped.com. Each purchase directly supports the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and that is why we are giving you 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use code GOMAN. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. So let's talk about everything else that went down on SmackDown and Raw this past week. And let's move over to the women's championship picture, the singles picture on SmackDown and Raw. Let's start on SmackDown. Bianca Belair faced Natalia in a singles match on the show. Belair said backstage that Twitter went nuts when she didn't hit Sasha Banks at Fastlane, but she was listening to her mom and being the bigger person. That was kind of a weak excuse, but that backstage promo was the best thing that she's cut on the main roster in her entire year on Raw and SmackDown. So I loved that from her. Really fiery, really passionate. Now the match began. Banks interrupted early and jumped on commentary. Banks trash talked at ringside and Belair finally hit her with a big right hand across the face. Then she came back in the ring, hit the KOD on Natalia for the win. Banks took her out with a backstabber. It was a much needed singles victory for Belair. And I thought, Everything with Belair and Banks added some really good heat to the rivalry. I do hope Belair gets over again next week and maybe stands over Sasha Banks on Friday, I mean, not next week, because I want her to kind of seem like a challenger who can actually take out Banks. But it was a great developmental, great building block episode for Belair. And again, I think she's the strongest that she's looked in quite some time, both from a promo standpoint and in the ring. Oh, so so you're saying it's a it's a good idea to have your championship challenger win on the way to WrestleMania? I mean, after and the not last involve three... and not involve the Cirque du Soleil performer for yeah, half of the it, feud. Yes, and get rolled up, I think, in back to back weeks and lose. Yes, so <laughs> this this was a huge step in the right direction. I actually liked Bianca saying that's why she didn't fight back against Sasha because I think I might have said that it was a reason. Uh, yeah, just even if it's Give a, us a reason. reason, it's a reason. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. Make everything. It makes you feel like this is a real person doing real things that real people do. So, uh, yeah, no, that was good. Good to see her get a win. It was nice to see her not directly with Sasha because so often, especially in this pandemic era, WWE is just running people back and forth over and over. I was expecting Bianca and versus Sasha in a tag match of some kind. So it was good to get Bianca out to fight somebody else, a veteran, Natalia. You know, get the win. Do your thing afterward. This is exactly what it needed to be needed to be done probably three weeks ago, but they're finally right. heading back in the right direction with this. Right. This needed to happen three weeks ago with none of the fast lane or tag team shit happening. That's, that's exactly right. And just to continue proving our point, juxtaposing SmackDown 
and Raw. Let's talk about the Raw Women's Championship and the contract signing. By the way, before we even get into this, it was reported that Charlotte Flair was backstage at the show. Didn't Hmm. show up on screen. I could have sworn they were going to make this a triple threat match. There is no way that next week they're going to suddenly make this a triple threat. So it's going to be a one-on-one match. Asuka against Rhea Ripley for better or worse. And I do think there are positives to it, but there may be some negatives as well. Ripley cut a short promo at the beginning of the contract signing. It was okay. Nothing nothing special, but nothing bad. Asuka said her confidence is borrowed, not earned, and Ripley is not ready for Asuka. Ripley then flipped the table over right into Asuka's head, knocking her out. I thought it was an accident at first, but it was totally on purpose. Yeah. And Asuka sold the shot like hell and was down on the ground for a good three to four minutes. So it was probably the best table flip at a contract signing that I can remember. And it was unique. They never really do it that way, right? Where the table just falls on top of the person. So I thought that was really cool. And it's all running really well. And I'm like, okay, they put some juice in this match and we're going to have another week next week to build on Asuka and Rhea Ripley more. This is fantastic. And then for no fucking reason whatsoever, Literally no reason whatsoever. Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Reginald, Reginald come out. Baszler had just lost a match, a singles match that we're going to talk about in a second. And was boasting for no reason. Shayna Baszler is 0-4-1 in singles matches in the month of March. But she's bragging that either she or Nia Jax could take down Asuka. She just and lost her. doesn't deserve yeah. the opportunity. And she just lost earlier in the show. That's what I'm saying. We're going to talk about that in a second. But she just lost like one segment earlier. So she's boasting. Then they challenge Asuka and Rhea Ripley to a tag team match next week. Because for some reason, with women's championship storytelling, they have to tag before they actually fight each other. Ripley accepts. Why? I don't know. She had no reason to accept. So after just doing this exact storyline, with Banks and Bel Air. Now they're forcing the same dog shit on Asuka and Ripley. And they can't have them win because then they would deserve a women's tag team title match. So what the hell's the booking? You just do an interference where Ripley attacks Asuka? I guess. I don't know. It's a mess. It's lazy. It's boring. It's insulting. It should have just ended at the table flip. That's all they had to do. Flip the table. Great segment. Move on to next week. Take us to WrestleMania. Instead of that, and getting a big thumbs up from the Silver King, it gets this. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. First off, shout out to Asuka for selling that table, like you said. I thought she had gotten hit in the mouth again, and I'm sure that's what she was playing off of. I was like, Mm -hmm. why is Asuka down for three minutes because she got hit? Oh, it's because she got hit in the mouth, and she was just out because of a mouth injury. Oh, it makes sense. So shout out to her for selling. She did great. But they only know how to tell three women's stories. Those are best friends who get jealous of each other and break up. Someone pins one half of the women's tag team champions or the or the or the singles champion. And can they coexist before they fight each other? They have to team up as a tag team. That's all they can do. We've gotten all of that in the span of like three weeks here. Just terrible, lazy you don't need to do it. I just praised over on SmackDown for having Bianca versus Natalia, a fresh matchup. 
that accomplishes what it needs to do and moves things forward. Instead, we get this nonsense. It's dumb. The raw go home deserves better. They deserve better. It was 0.0. I mean, the, the Sasha Banks and Bailey and Oscar storyline from the summer, it was convoluted as hell, but it was different. It was booking the Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair storyline, which also involved Oscar for a period of time. It was a little convoluted at times, but it was different. What happened to the women's evolution? What happened to putting thought and effort into storytelling in the women's division? This is dog shit, and they deserve the criticism that we're giving them. It's just bad. There is absolutely no reason to involve the women's tag team champions in the Raw Women's Championship storyline, especially after you just did it on SmackDown for two months. It this is has, yeah. so lazy. This has nothing to do with not having Charlotte or Becky or having Alexa do Fiend stuff. This has to do with the lack of stories that they're choosing to tell. And we'll get to the women's, the actual women's tag stuff later because maybe something's going on there. Maybe not. I don't know. But yeah. Not it, it has to do with idiotic storytelling because again, the segment that preceded it, the contract signing, it wasn't a home run. It was good. It was a B minus, you know, like it, it totally got the job done to build tension for their match at WrestleMania. Holy shit. Rhea Ripley just took out Oscar. You know what they could have done? Maybe you have uh, Ripley throw the table out of the ring after hit her with the riptide. Right now, Oscar has all of a sudden taken two shots and Ripley looks really strong. Next week, maybe Oscar gets over on Ripley and you move forward into the match at WrestleMania. And yep. all of a sudden, in two short weeks, you have a pretty decent build for a WrestleMania match. Instead, they're doing the shitty team up as opponents. And it's just, man, holy Th shit. Think about the fire we saw from Asuka when she returned to fight Shayna a couple weeks ago. That was like, now Asuka has a purpose. She's been around right. for six months with nothing to do. Now she's got some fire. That was Wasted. a great segment. Now we're thinking, okay, she's got a title match. Let's get back into that. Like, let's get, let's ramp up the heat and the energy going into this match. And instead we get, she's going to tag team with her partner or with her opponent on the go home show. Just, just a, just a mess. So we talked about Baszler losing on the show. It was Naomi against Baszler. Jax, Reginald, Lana, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke were all at ringside for a singles match with Rose and Dana Brooke on commentary. Reginald tried to interfere. Lana pushed Jackson to Rose outside. Baszler kicked Lana off the ring apron. And then Naomi rolled her up for a pin. It wasn't a roll up. It was actually like a fold up. It was a pinning combination. So, okay, I'll let that go. But Baszler, I just mentioned, has lost four, four, one, two, three, four singles matches in March. And the fifth match she was in was a no contest. It looks like we're going to get a fatal four way for the women's tag team titles at WrestleMania. We knew that's probably what we were getting. For some reason, every team in the company, except the Riot Squad, which is Ugh. maybe the actual only team that people care about and want to see win. Every other team, though, is in the match. And I didn't hate this segment, but I hate that you have Baszler on one hand losing and then coming back and trying to puff out her chest and that you can't figure out any other way to build this match than for Baszler to lose every single time while you just don't have Nia Jax wrestle singles and never have Nia Jax lose. I, I don't get it at all. 
to go to, to well for one it's because like i said the only story they know how to tell in in tag team women's wrestling is either their best friends or someone pinned one half of the women's tag team yeah but pin naya right well i mean it's hard to pin naya and whatever but i'm just whatever it yeah that's, be, why, that's be, why Shana it should be just though. as hard to pin one of the second longest reigning nxt women's champion yes yes Rizzo. so compare how they're building I assume this fatal four way tag match to what they have done with the men's SmackDown. There you go. Another example. And they, they did the gauntlet match. They did teams can teams can straight up beat each other back and forth and like tell a story in that. And that's like, that's how you build a tag team. SmackDown over the last month has built a solid tag team division because they knew what they were going to do and they went and did it. And SmackDown and raw has been a complete mess with the, with the, Women's tag belts. I know, I know that SmackDown's kind of involved in that too, but it, it's just two completely different results when you are basically trying to tell the same story. And it's it's just yet another thing that highlights the difference between Raw and SmackDown. It's a great point. I wasn't even thinking of it from a, a women's and men's perspective, but it's another juxtaposition of we're going to have two fatal four-way tag team matches. One has been built spectacularly on SmackDown and one piss poor on Raw and SmackDown, because it's a dual brand title. So it's a great point by you. Uh, we'll stay by Raw. We'll stay with things that are pissing me off. Uh, Riddle <laughs> faced Sheamus in a non-title match. Riddle was having fun backstage with Titus O'Neil when Sheamus' shoulder tackled him into a road case. I have no idea why they didn't just spend some time building up this match for WrestleMania. This is a great situation where you do like Riddle and New Day against Sheamus AJ Styles and like, since you don't want almost to fight a third person, right? Or, or you do Riddle and Kofi with Xavier at ringside against Sheamus and AJ Styles. And you tell two storylines, you know, with one match or something, but instead they just have Riddle and Sheamus fight in a non-title match for some reason. Uh, Again, I don't know why they didn't just spend these two weeks building up the WrestleMania match, but whatever. Riddle hit an avalanche exploder, a floating bro and a broton for a two count. Sheamus hit white noise on the ring apron for a near fall, then caught Riddle with a knee to the face, not even the bro kick, for a one-two-three. I honestly thought it was a title match. Like I, I saw the U.S. title and like early in the in the show in a match card graphic or something like that, and I assumed it was for the title. I thought they had Sheamus win the title, and maybe that was me not paying attention. That's my fault. But I was like, I can't believe they just changed the title. You know, eight days or, or, or ten days before WrestleMania, they didn't because I'm stupid. Uh, but it was a non-title match. So they beat the champion to create a title match for WrestleMania, another WWE trope. And it's unnecessary because now you have Riddle taking a loss. Not the most offensive thing in the world, but certainly lazy and typical Raw booking. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is low on my priority and interest list. And basically the only thing I care about from this feud is them just really beating the crap out of each other. So if... They beat the crap out of each other once, and that leads to a WrestleMania match. I'm okay with it. I, th- there was never going to be much. Uh, this is always going to be a quick a thing, quickly thrown together. It, it, it's it's fine. The match was fun. They just they they just really hit each other really hard, and and I like watching that. So that was fine. And I'm going to say this again: two weeks in a row, I'm a fan of what Riddle's doing backstage. Once again, he's speaking faster. And with confidence, like a child. And like he's when he's asking Asuka if they have scooters in Japan and stuff like that. And 
it, I, I like him a lot better this way as opposed to like spacing out stoner type of well deal. well the oscar thing so well, let's well, talk- get this, I'll, well i'm gonna get it in a second I'm, but first i'm just i want to give real credit here because we've we've very much disagreed on him i did not like the stoner type thing where he was just acting like an idiot he is now speaking with curiosity and confidence and i'm liking it so shout okay. out to him for that and then he goes and forgets a line <laughs> Forget the line. Probably forgot. Probably forgot eighteen lines. So just, just says, yeah. Go so ahead. You're going what you're ahead. referencing is later in the show, Riddle approaches Oscar on his scooter with the title, and look immediately. It's Riddle and Oscar, right? I, I'm in heaven. Like I know it's going to be good. I, I'm I'm ready to laugh. Like I, I'm I'm waiting for the interaction. It's something I've been waiting for. And he just botches his promo <laughs> completely live. Uh, it actually worked out as a total airhead stoner moment. Yeah. That he was asking her about uh, whether she, she thinks they would like scooters in Japan. She says, yes, maybe she didn't give him the cue that he needed. So maybe I'll give him a break on it. But but it was a total stoner moment. He's like, oh, well, I forgot what I was going to say. And then he rides off <laughs> muttering. And and I think he thought that that was being taped, but it was yeah. live. And Asuka knew it was live. So she just looks into the camera and deadpans. It was legitimate funny. I could see like any other wrestler doing that. Vince would like kick them off the show and just throw them in hell, right? If they drop the title at WrestleMania, go F yourself, whole deal. But with Riddle, it was actually endearing. And if you weren't paying attention, you may have just thought it was part of the story, part of the promo and what happened. That's how great he is as a character that he totally screwed up. And it was like perfectly fine. Hey, we're live, pal. <laughs> I mean, I just kept thinking. Yeah, of Jim we'll Ross. do it live. Yeah, I was thinking of Jim Ross talking to Psycho Sid, telling them they're doing it live. But even again, even the the confidence is just like I forgot what I was going to say, and then scootering off like that saved it. He didn't just sit there and mumble. He's just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of this situation, and it works. So Randy Orton was on screen, and they didn't actually do much in this feud with the Fiend, but he was pretty strong in the backstage promo, saying he finally understands the Fiend is not human. Hey, what would have been the clue there, Randy, that this guy's not human, right? (laughs) And must be stopped once and for all. Uh, Alexa's playground was then a segment later in the show. She told a story about the Jack in the Box and why you can't trap evil forever. She promised a legend killer would die at WrestleMania. And it was like mediocre, but then the camera panned backward and the crispy Kentucky Fried Fiend (laughs) was shown on the swing next to her. And if you remember all those weeks they did the playground, she kept looking over at it and there was no one there. It was always the fiend, right? In her mind. Now you actually see him. So it was a payoff of that. There wasn't much to really chew on or talk about here. Like I thought they would kind of move into announcing the Firefly Funhouse match and, you know, explain the storyline a little bit more, but they just didn't. And I'm okay with it because this, this has been such a large featured part of Raw for so many weeks. So it was almost like a week off. As long as they give us a very strong resolution next week on the Go Home Show, I'll be fine with it. Yeah, and shout out to Alexa Bliss for the history lesson because what she was telling there right. about the original idea being a, a, a box with a devil to protect, that's true. So that was kind of cool. That oh, did you look it up? Like it's true? I did. I looked oh, it up literally right now as you were explaining it. I, I meant to do that before. Yep, according to uh, what I'm looking at here, it's true. So that's cool. Um, yeah, there wasn't much here. I, I mean, really the only 
The only thing we don't know yet for sure is if this is going to officially be a, I guess, Firefly Funhouse match, right? We we don't really know what kind of match this is. That's we don't know what stipulation, I mean, if any. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I really hope it's full-on cinematic, go into Randy's history like you did John Cena type of thing. I mean, she talked about the Legend Killer. Right. In, in that type of deal, Randy was recently on Sto- uh, Broken Skull, whatever is with Stone Cold Steve Austin, talking about his you know career. So there's a lot to build on there. Um, I think there's a, a a ton they could do with it. I really hope they do that now. I just kind of have my fingers crossed that that's where they decide to go. They haven't been in the Firefly Funhouse, obviously, in months, right? So it probably won't be called that. But I do hope it's a similar psychological, cinematic type of match, right? I don't want, I don't even really want a uh, Boneyard match. I want no. the craziness of yeah. The Fiend's mind and yeah. invading that. So maybe they'll do that. Maybe they'll do something different. The hope is that they've been building this up for such a long time. It's been so obvious that they've really thought through what exactly they're going to do. As long as we don't get like projected worms in the ring uh, again, I'll probably be okay with it. Right. And I'll probably yeah. like it because like, this yeah. shit's been good. I mean, like I want, I wanted to literally be Firefly Finals, like part two, like build off of last year. That last year's Firefly Finals matches is probably the most memorable thing from that show. So I, I mean, lean into that. Try to do it again. I know it'll be I know it'll be different being in a football stadium, um, but I, I, I think there's a lot they could do, and I hope they do it. All right, moving back over to SmackDown, we had Seth Rollins against Shinsuke Nakamura, a fascinating rematch for really no reason whatsoever. It was short and entertaining. There were good counters late. Rollins won with the stomp, and Nakamura lost to him for a second time for really no reason whatsoever. Uh, Cesaro stopped the post-match attack with some big suplexes, but Rollins avoided a uh, swing. He flipped out backstage and challenged Cesaro to a match at WrestleMania. Cesaro attacked him from behind, threw him into a road case, and then swung him about a dozen times and accepted the challenge. The Nakamura match, I just felt was totally unnecessary, obviously, to get him here when a promo would have done the job just fine. But I'm glad we're getting the match, and the Cesaro-Seth Rollins interactions and beatdowns is entertaining and it should be a great match at WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, I mean, God bless Seth, Seth Rollins for doing everything he can to get Cesaro over. I mean, I mean, that's basically the whole point of this feud. That's what every interaction is. You know, this started off by Seth talking about how, how great Cesaro is, but he's always been potential. And now he's saying, you know, he's always going to be just that. And, and so the idea is Cesaro goes over and gets this great moment. So um, there's not a ton to this. Seth is, working his ass off to make Cesaro look good. And and obviously Cesaro can do that to do that uh, by himself, but uh, just continues to tell a pretty simple story and, and do it pretty well. Now the mixed storyline tag team match, I was talking that they should have done on raw. They actually did on SmackDown. I actually forgot about that. Uh, yep. Big E and the street profits fought Apollo Crews and alpha Academy in a six man tag. Chad Gable caught Montez Ford flying over the top rope into a Northern light. Suplex, oh which man. Was Absolutely incredible. Corey Amazing. Graves it. Corey Graves called it outrageous. And that really is the perfect word. It was outrageous. Gable yeah. was incredible. Uh, Gable then German suplexed Angelo Dawkins onto his head and Ford hit a huge tope con hero. Cruz tagged Gable blind and hit an angle slam on Big E for the win. The title rematch, another one between Big E and Cruz was later confirmed. Obviously, this is a hot feud between Big E and Cruz, but the three to four prior Biggie wins. It really just takes a lot of wind out of the sails of this match. We've talked about it. We will talk about it next week on the Ultimate Preview. We said it on the Instant Analysis. 
that just that match never should have happened at Fastlane. It was totally unnecessary. But the positives coming out of this, Cruz looked great. Chad Gable looked great. They combined were the stars of the match. And that's great to see. Yeah. And and speaking of taking the wins out of the sails, it looks like the way they're going to approach it. Cole had a line during the match when he said Biggie has yet to have a decisive victory over Apollo Cruz. So that's kind of how they're kind of and that makes their, sense. Talk, talk their way around it, basically, is kind of how they're going to do it. So this match was great. I mean, from the very beginning, Biggie, before the match even starts, he's trying to get himself to Apollo and the ref has to keep him away. Like, that's how you remember, oh, these guys hate each other. Like, they're competing in a match here, but there's emotions in this right from the beginning. Match was awesome. Love all these guys involved. That that one That one where Gable was doing a German suplex as Otis clotheslines him, I don't remember who he hit. That was an amazing move. I love these guys as a tag team. You know, I've been on the Otis and uh, Chad Gable train from the beginning for a yeah, couple months too. now. I love them as a tag team. Uh, they kind of go back and forth between face and heel. Now they seem to be a heel team. They look great every single time up there. And 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 Apollo gets the win. He gets, he gets the pin of Big E. And he was fired up when he got that win. I mean, he's yelling, flexing like... That meant great. a lot to him. And that's what, when it matters to the people in the ring to get that victory, when I can tell he's fired up to get that win, that makes me fired up that he got that win. Like that emotion carries through. He's been killing it ever since this character change and even a little bit before that too. So this was exactly how you get him back on track. We can't change what happened in the past. This was everybody looked great in this in SmackDown. This is why we trust SmackDown to fix things, to get things right, to take it in the right direction, because they know what they're doing and they deliver. It's honestly crazy to see the growth and improvement of Apollo Crews over the last like, I don't know, 14 months. Yeah, it's shocking. And I'm very happy for him because we did interview him on this podcast. You can go back in our archives and listen to it. He is a great guy, family man, someone who you could tell really wanted these opportunities and he's taking full advantage of them first as a face and now as a heel. It was a good heel turn when it happened. It's a good character. And now the guy's in an intercontinental title match at WrestleMania. And credit to Biggie as well, because he's elevated the intercontinental title again. It hadn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that Jeff Hardy and Sami Zayn didn't do a good job with it, but for a long time, it was kind of just another title. You know, it didn't really matter that much. Now it actually feels like a big deal. So Credit to all those guys, as I said, credit to Gable. And last word, I'll say, when they split up Heavy Machinery, we were mad that they split up a tag team that clearly would have worked. But one of the reasons I was most mad about it is because Otis as a single star isn't going anywhere. And the Money in the Bank briefcase was stupid and we've gone over this ad nauseum. But Otis and Gable as a tag team, it just is an upgrade. On yeah, heavy machinery. It, is. it really is. And if you're going to keep them together and let them operate and, and this is going to be the booking, then it was ultimately a really good decision. But that's hindsight. At the time, it wasn't. Now it is because well, they yeah. figured out something to do with Otis. And no surprise, it's happening on SmackDown. Yeah, and they figured out what to do with Gable. I mean, surprise, you have a, a champion power lifter and an Olympic wrestler and you put them together right. and they can do some amazing physical things in the ring. Like, And they're actually yeah. really, really good friends in real yes. life. Yeah. So it all is coming through on screen and it's awesome. Love them. Moving over to the tag team title picture. Oh, by the way, we still think this is going to be a fail four way, obviously, right? Yeah. With, with the dirty dogs, with 
uh, I guess the Mysterios with yeah. uh, Alpha Academy and the Street Profits. Okay, so we'll talk about, I was going to move over to Raw, but why don't we talk about the second half? Mysterio and Dolph Ziggler fought one-on-one on SmackDown. Mysterio said in a short promo that becoming tag team champions with Dominic would be incredible. Hey, I've been saying that for six months. I said <laughs> during the Seth Rollins feud, I was saying the next thing they need to do with the Mysterios to keep Dominic kind of involved and give Ray something to really sink his teeth into is to make them the first father-son tag team champion. It looks like that is possibly going to be happening. But Ziggler powerbombed Ray over a barricade and then super kicked Dominic when he went to check on him. It was so freaking good. Ray was about to springboard outside when Ziggler caught him midair for a ridiculous zigzag. But Ray did come back with the 619 and the frog splash for the win. It does seem obvious that we are getting that fatal four-way tag team title match. But I love the booking of this. I love the booking of the other tag, the six-man tag team match. Two good matches back-to-back on SmackDown. Yep. Things make sense. People have reasons to do things. The wrestling is good. That's all you need. And it, it, for some re- for some reason, some places it seems more complicated than that, but not, not in this tag team feud. Now moving over to the tag team title picture on Raw, we had a singles match, Xavier Woods and AJ Styles. McIntyre approached Styles and Omos because he thought they were going to attack him. That never came to fruition. Later, New Day did a short comedy segment backstage. And ultimately, there was a game night in the ring with charades and Pictionary, but Omas refused to play along. Uh, he cut a pretty short, it wasn't great promo, but like, like enough of the funny business, let's actually get to beating the shit out of each other, which was kind of cool because he's a big guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Woods and Styles were then having a pretty good match. It was fun going back and forth when Omas stopped Woods from kicking Styles single-handedly, flipping him over the rope from the ring apron, and then pressed slammed Kofi into the Thunderdome, the abyss of the Thunderdome. Then Omas hit Woods with a two-handed throwing spinebuster. It was kind of like a combination of the almighty spinebuster with a last ride. If you think of those two moves together, that's what Omas did. It looked pretty cool, all things considered. He looked pretty beastly, all things considered. I really don't know what to expect from this match. AJ Styles, Kofi Kingston, and Xavier Woods are all great wrestlers. So I have no doubt that whatever greenness uh, Omas still has will be hidden very well by the other three selling for him and bumping and and just the storytelling of the match. I'm sure AJ will do most of the heavy lifting from a wrestling standpoint. I just have no idea what to expect from this match. But man, Styles is great. He can be a serious heel. He can be a serious face and he can be a comedy face or heel. He works in every possible way yep. and he's great playing off the new day. Yeah, he's he's hilarious. He he, he, he just he's got that confidence. I, I guess that overconfidence, cockiness. I love Omas coming out in his mauve shirt. And I gotta say, kind of like Drew McIntyre, he long term storytelling for seven days. Yeah, he looks Omas looks bigger when he's wearing street clothes compared to the the suits and other things he's been wearing in the past. I like AJ's entire body width almost fit like from arm from like nipple to nipple on on Omas's shirt it's crazy he looks even more huge and honestly the the physical stuff that Omas did in this uh I guess at the end of this match is what I expected to be the go home segment like here's a tease of all the crazy things that the powerful things he can do you're going to get it at Wrestlemania so I don't know what they're going to do next week but you know this this I you know I wasn't a fan of her business losing the belts and shotgunning this feud together but given what this story is and lacks 
um, they're making it what it needs to be, which is pretty much a, a comedy feud. And and it's been funny. You know, the, the guys involved are funny. Uh, it, it's it's serving the role it needs to serve. And the Pictionary charade stuff uh, did that as well. So, yeah, it was one of the better we, things on Raw. Yeah, really. we, we complain <laughs> a lot about Raw, but th- this was an example of knowing what they want to do, what they want to accomplish, having an end point in mind and just executing it. Yeah, it was one of the few things that made total sense on the show. And credit for that. Now, back over to SmackDown, there was a KO show with Sami Zayn as the guest. Zayn did appear to sincerely apologize to Kevin Owens for the Huluva kick last week. He asked him if he would still participate in the documentary, promised a red carpet trailer release next week, and then said Logan Paul would be there as the guest of honor. Owens kept trying to cut off Zayn and finally eventually was able to and challenge him to a match at WrestleMania. Zayn was forced into a corner and accepted. It's a total 100% hotshot feud. But the WrestleMania card is absolutely stacked, right? And mm-hmm. adding Owens and Zayn, who have wrestled each other 10,000 times on the independents in NXT and in WWE, it's still going to be a banger of a match. So I love that they're going to fight, even though it's not really a heavily well-built feud. But the bigger news than this... <laughs> is actually Logan Paul. This guy, I know many of you don't even know who he is. He is a certified draw. He's going to be fighting Floyd Mayweather later this year. He did 2.5 million pay-per-view buys combined in two celebrity boxing matches against some dude named KSI, another YouTube star. WWE has been trying to crack this young demographic expand its audience, increase attention on the product. And between Paul and Bad Bunny, they're actually going after two youths who are really big names in pop culture right now. I can't stress enough really how big of a win this is. You're going to get this guy on Fox and then you're going to get him reportedly at WrestleMania as well to, I guess, be in Sami Zayn's corner. Now, I am no Logan Paul fan. I am no fan of the brothers not just for me not liking their entire gimmick and everything that they do, but he's done some really bad shit in the past. So F these guys as people. But in terms of bringing people into your product and getting young people to watch WWE and WrestleMania, this is a genius move. And I am going to be very curious. I would love to ask Sami Zayn, when he mentioned Logan Paul on air like three weeks ago, was that a shot in the dark or was this deal already signed? Because if Sami Zayn manifested this out of nowhere and starts tweeting at him and then the representatives reach out and WWE is like, hey, we'll give you 50K if you show up and and this just all happened, then Sami Zayn is responsible for a pretty damn big piece of business for WWE. And and in case you guys don't know, I mentioned 2.5 million pay-per-view buys for those two fights with KSI that Logan Paul had. AEW per pay-per-view does anywhere between like 90,000 and like 110,000 buys in the United States. 2.5 million combined, 1.3 and 1.2 for the two pay-per-views. This guy, think what you want about him. People want to see him. This is huge. And I don't know that people are making a big enough deal about what this means for WWE. Yeah, I didn't actually think it was real the first time Sammy said it on SmackDown, but then they talked about it again uh, or previewed it uh, on Raw. So I'm like, I guess this really is happening. And and yeah, him, him and his brother, Jake, they... Got big on YouTube doing 
I don't know if you call them pranks, but just like kind of being jerks to people for a while, and then they, they, they had a lot of shit go down. Google Google him if you want. Yeah, to really know but that. but but he got into basically the celebrity boxing type of thing, and the and you, like you said, the numbers are huge. For and people thought he's going to get his ass kicked, and he, the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you. Yeah, at sacrifice. Yeah, Sorry, and, go ahead. and so. Yeah, he's a legitimate draw. People thought he was going to get his ass kicked, uh, and he didn't because he's a pretty big guy and can actually move a little bit. Uh, I think Sammy, man, if, I, I think Sammy made this happen himself. Like, there, there's no like this was not if they were going to have Logan Paul, they would have like hyped up just an appearance and then go from there and tell me some visiting. I think Sammy made this happen on Twitter uh, when he was talking about it and built it from there built some sort of relationship and made this whole thing happen. I mean, the whole documentary gimmick, I'm sure, was a throwaway to a lot of people in WWE, but Sami Zayn is so talented that he made it into something really interesting because he's a really talented guy. And so now we get a Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn match at WrestleMania. No, it's not the, you know, the, the type of match, the type of story maybe some people would have liked from these two going into a one-on-one WrestleMania match. But like you said, the card stacked. I'm sure this won't be a super long thing. And if they, like you said, have Logan Paul, their ringside or something at WrestleMania to have Logan Paul and bad bunny and, and to not, to not only to have them, but to have them in, in like low, like lower card feuds, like not even mid card feuds, like bad bunny versus Miz is not for any sort of title. He was running around with the 24 seven. Owen Zane is a mid card feud. Yeah, I guess it's a mid card feud. Like there's not a title. Like this isn't like, you know, you know, uh, Mike Tyson or something like that, getting involved in Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin for the, right. for the world right. championship match. These are pretty low on the, the totem pole in terms of the big things going on at WrestleMania. So to get them and to get them in those spots is not, nothing but a win for WWE to get two absolutely huge celebrities interested in their product. And especially with bad bunny who just clearly loves wrestling and loves doing this. Uh, this is huge for WWE and, and Sami Zayn, the documentary stuff. I'm looking forward to the trailer. You know, they've Me been too. Po- they've been posting stuff on on the YouTube channel of, of actual documentary camera footage, and Sami's cutting promos in them. So I'm really, honestly, curious to see where this goes because I think it was, it was a fun little gimmick that he turned into something pretty good, and now it's turning into something pretty big. Yeah, I mean, I think I've said it many times. I think it's Zayn's best gimmick of his entire career, the best work at least that he's done throughout his entire career. And yeah, it's a hot shot match, but. These are two guys who really deserve to have a WrestleMania match, not necessarily against each other, but Zayn's character work all year, his intercontinental title run, both before the pandemic and then when he came back with the title and won in that ladder match and him holding it before dropping it to Big E. And Kevin Owens, the the months of work he did with Roman Reigns in the main event storyline on SmackDown to suddenly not have a WrestleMania match would have been really disappointing. All of it kind of culminated in these two guys that, I, I'm not going to say they carried the brand, but they were really big parts of SmackDown's success, especially over the last six months, coming together for a match against each other. So they deserve it. And they're now going to get a lot of attention on it. And on top of all of it, I really want to see the damn entire documentary, but especially the trailer. So all of this is coming together at the right time. And it's exciting stuff. And I'm happy for them. And I'm happy that WWE actually got a pretty a second pretty big name to show up at WrestleMania. So really good for them couple more things before we get out of here. Uh, you mentioned the celebrity aspect, so I guess we'll just continue on. Uh, they debuted Hey Hey Hip Hop 
or sorry, <laughs> Hey Hey Hop Hop, because it's a Bad Bunny reference, on Miz TV. So the Miz TV, the promos with Miz and Morrison, I didn't find those funny, typical shit. Uh, but the music video was pretty good, especially if you actually listen to the lyrics. Some of the lyrics were funny. Uh, Damien Priest and Bad Bunny came out. Bad Bunny said he would make Miz his bitch. And then Bad Bunny basically delivered a really strong, <laughs> really well-thrown worked punch. All in all, it was fine. Uh, there's only so much they can do to build this. I think we uh, were guessing last week, like, hey, why isn't Damian Priest and John Morrison involved? What's going there? Reportedly, both of them have minor injuries, and I don't think they're clear to actually compete. So, Or they can't do a tag team match if both or one of them is unable to go. It's really unfortunate. At least Damian Priest is still getting the shine of standing next to him and being in his corner throughout the entire thing. I'm sure they will do something in and around the ring. And look, there's still one more week. If they get cleared next week, they can make it a tag team match. So, you know, I'm a little upset that we're not getting Priest actually in the match because you want Bad Bunny to rub off on Priest and get the shine on him. Hello. But nevertheless, <laughs> hey now. Uh, but nevertheless, it was good. And the Bad Bunny stuff is working for me too. Yeah, you know, I thought the video, I think the video needed subtitles. I don't know if it's my TV or what, but it was hard to hear some of the lyrics. I don't know, the the, the, the beat and the music sound pretty loud, but the, the words were kind of hard to hear. I might need to check it up on YouTube, see if it's any better there. Um, but it was funny. I, I like the videos, you know, I, I they did the hey, hey, ho, ho thing. You know, I think Morrison really kind of carries a lot of the humor because he's not taking himself seriously like The Miz kind of does. Um, I, you know, the, the promo was nothing beforehand, but it was funny when Morrison opened up. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, why is my hair so big? Because I'm full of mystery or something like that, because I have so many questions. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was really weird, but it, it popped me. I was, that was pretty funny. And yeah, I, I, I guess Bad Bunny's been working out with Jeff Jarrett on how to do a work punch. Man, that, <laughs> that was uh that was a good looking punch. I don't if it's just going to be the two of them. I don't expect the match to be longer than three to five minutes, but I'm sure they'll have a lot of shenanigans around it. Um, and yeah, it sucks if, if Morrison and Priest are hurt and can't go because that's a, a big moment for, for both of them. So hopefully they can turn around because uh, it would certainly be better if they can turn that into a tag match. It would be. I think it's much more exciting. You don't necessarily need to have Bad Bunny hit a finisher, you know, on The Miz. You can have Priest do something and then have Bad Bunny tag in and, and do a splash and get the pinfall. Otherwise, right. you're having Bad Bunny somewhat cleanly beat a multiple-time former WWE champion. That's a little bit rougher, but we will see what happens. And again, we will go in depth on that and every match on the WrestleMania card in our uh, ultimate preview next Tuesday on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Last but not least, before we get out of here, Shane McMahon promised an expose on Braun Strowman. Shane showed a report card that amounted to Braun being stupid, getting all D's. I don't know why you're not doing F's if you're <laughs> stupid, but it's fine. Uh, horrible segment, as expected. Strowman then fought Jackson Riker. They did the Strowman Express train thing again. I think we actually, you know, like when you're um, toddler, like you give them, I mean, I don't, I don't have kids. I don't think you have kids either. Me neither. But uh, you give them crayons, they start drawing on the wall, Right. And then ultimately you need to take the crayons away from them. I think someone needs to take the Thunderdome away from WWE. Like it has been going well and a lot of cool things and innovations happened and they came with the, this is awesome chance and all that type of stuff. And that's all fine. But like these sound effects of the train running through and Braun gets outside the ring. 
it's really over the top and unnecessary. He won with the running power slam. Shane and Elias attacked him after he just pushed them both off. Strowman then announced that the stipulation of his choice to keep Elias and Jackson Riker out of the ring is a steel cage match. But Chris, if the goal is to keep Elias and Jackson Riker out of the ring, wouldn't you make a Hell in a Cell match? Like, wouldn't you put the top on the structure? That way they can't climb inside while you're wrestling someone else. Maybe Shane's onto something here. Maybe Braun Strowman <laughs> actually is a moron, right? You could have done that. You could have done false count anywhere, which would have been the best possible booking. So they can go crazy, can throw Shane off the pirate ship and a million different things. I will say one interesting tidbit. This is going to be the first steel cage match at a WrestleMania in like 35 years. I was wondering. Yeah, they just don't do them. So that's kind of unique. Look, this could wind up being great if Shane bumps his ass off, but it's an absolute garbage storyline and it's really not getting any better. Yeah, a few things here. When Braun was saying, you know, I, I want a match where your goons can't interfere, I was scared to death he was going to say Hell in a Cell. I know it would make more sense, but this feud does not deserve Hell in a Cell. So when he said, when he said Steel Cage, I was like, a crowd, a crowd would have gone, it, it should be exactly what you said. It should be a false count anywhere. We should be throwing Shane off the freaking pirate ship. Unless they have somebody else set to jump off a ship, but there's no false count anywhere matches, so I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe because of COVID, they can't. They feel they can't go through the crowd. You know, I, I could understand that as well. But I don't know. The whole point of this feud is for Shane to get thrown around and fall off stuff. So we'll we'll see. I, I still think they can pull that out. As for the rest of the segment, I, I mean, I think they went with report cards so they could just make it easier and have Shane read off a card. Uh, to, to, so he didn't have to worry about forgetting anything. And they, it was such an obviously fake report card. Like they should be pulling prank, like pranks on, like kind of like the Ms. Morrison type stuff with Braun a little bit, but like they should be like tricking him, doing stuff, not just insulting him and then like not it's having so any like real actual proof to, to, to back it up. It's nonsense. But the train thing, I don't, it, it's dumb. I don't hate it. But the problem is you need to stop it once he stops. He ran over Jack. He, the train noise is going. He runs over Jackson Riker and stops, turns around, starts walking. But the train noise is still going. Like you I think to, Jackson Riker fell out the wrong side of the ring. I, maybe. I don't know. But whoever's controlling the sound, like just pull the plug on that as soon as he stops running. Because yeah. he's no longer a runaway train. It's a little thing. It's a nitpick thing. It's a weird thing. It just, it stuck out to me. If you're going to do it, you got to do it. Right. Just don't do it. How about that? Sure. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> How about we just don't do it? Okay. It's so much easier that way. Uh, things we are going to do though here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is talk wrestling. We got a lot of episodes coming up for you this coming Thursday. We will be talking all things NXT and AEW. NXT it will be the go-home show for NXT TakeOver Stand and deliver. But the Silver King has a surprise up his sleeve, not originally planned. I'm going to have a separate NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview Show because none other than Santos Escobar will be joining the Silver King for a special interview ahead of this two-night takeover. So I will be presenting that to you at some point. I'm not sure whether that show will be Friday or Saturday or Sunday or maybe even the following Monday, but we will have an NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver 
Ultimate Preview Special Edition coming after Thursday's NXT and AEW show. And then next week is WrestleMania week here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be all things WWE. On Tuesday, we will have our WrestleMania 37 Ultimate Preview. On Thursday, we will have instant analysis of the two-night NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. There is a chance that Friday night we have a special go-home edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast following SmackDown. That is the plan as of right now. We normally don't do it, but with that SmackDown, with a two-night WrestleMania ahead, things can change over the course of the week. And Chris and I may sit down and do like a 20-minute show just kind of going over everything you need to know ahead of WrestleMania. And then Sunday night, shortly after WrestleMania 37 is off the air, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Vanini, we will be back with instant analysis of WrestleMania 37. It's going to be an absolutely loaded week. AEW will do a double episode the following week, talking about two weeks of AEW. The focus next week is all on WWE and NXT, and I cannot wait to bring it all to you. I also hope to have some interviews with additional WWE superstars. So look out for all of that, but for now, it's the Silver King saying goodbye for Vintage, and I'm just going to leave you with three final words as the road to WrestleMania continues. Bye for now.